Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We are uh, talking about joy today. And as I was getting ready for this message, I was just thinking how joy is such a rare thing these days. I feel like we live in a, in a particularly uh, sad, perhaps depressed or joyless, discontent, unthankful, ungrateful society. And I didn't really have to go too far to, to, like, to think about this. Just, just this week, I was experiencing uh, a lack of joy. Just this week, I was, you know, for a couple of days, I was just not feeling it, right? Like, like some people might say, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. And, I, and, and you know, feeling uh, some sort of depression, inexplicable depression, sadness, discontentment, lack of joy, lack of fulfillment, and, you know, I think that this happens, I, well, there's probably a bunch of reasons for why this happens, right? I'm thinking more practically, I think that social media doesn't help, right? I've, I've noticed that the, there is a, a pretty close equivalent to the amount of time that I spend on social media and how joyless I am feeling. Uh, I have never left social media feeling joyful or encouraged. Um, I think we could talk about, you know, unhealthy, uh, having an unhealthy lifestyle, right? And having a poor diet and all of these things that, that affect our, our mood, our emotions and all of that. But I think ultimately we have to talk about our, our sinful nature, right? We have to talk about our fallen uh, nature, which makes us ungrateful and discontent, and ultimately because of our fallen nature, when our circumstances around us, when they go south, when things go bad for us, we start looking for comfort in the wrong places. We start looking for, uh, for safety or security in the wrong places. We look for pleasure or for satisfaction in the wrong places. When in reality, we should be looking for all of those things in God, right? He is our source of joy, pleasure, satisfaction, uh, uh, safety, assurance. He is the source of all of those things. And I am convinced that any time, or I should say every time that we go looking for all of those things anywhere else other than God, that will result in a lack of joy. But as Christians, we should be joyful people, right? As Christians, we have a reason to be joyful people. And in this passage that we're about to read, we're going to see at least three reasons for why we should be joyful people. In this passage, we're going to see that we should be joyful because God's presence is with us. That's one. We should be joyful because we are God's treasured possession, that's two. And number three, we should be joyful because God will avenge his people. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. So I, I want us to read uh, 
all of Zechariah chapter 2, but we're mostly going to focus on verses um, 6 through 12. So uh, can I ask you to stand for reading God's word? Zechariah chapter 2 says, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what it is, sorry, to see what, what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Up! Up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So just to, to, to give you a little bit of context of what's going on here in Zechariah. So last week, the last two weeks, we talked about, uh, we, we studied a little bit of Isaiah and then a little bit of Micah. Isaiah and Micah were prophets that prophesied right before the exile, right before the people of Israel went into exile in Judah. Now, the difference with uh, with Zechariah is that Zechariah prophesied after the exile or, or really, really close to the ending of exile, right? So whereas, uh, whereas Isaiah and Micah are prophesying and telling the people, repent, you have to turn back to God. You are about to go into exile. Zechariah's message is exile has ended, but the message is the same. You still have to repent. You still have to return to the Lord. In fact, one of the one of the main things that Zechariah says at the beginning of this book, he says, "If you return to the Lord, the Lord will return to you." He tells them, "Don't be like your fathers. Don't be like like the people before you that went into exile. 
You have to turn to the Lord and the Lord will turn to you. Otherwise, the same thing is going to happen. That was basically Zachariah's message. But one of the things that Zachariah was doing, well, he was speaking from God. And one of the things that God was proclaiming through Zachariah is that just as he had, just as he had promised through, through the prophet Jeremiah, exile was coming to an end. In fact, there were many people that were already back in Jerusalem. There were many people from Israel that had returned from Babylon into Jerusalem. There were also people who were still in Babylon. And so uh, Zechariah is speaking to these people. And basically here in chapter two, he is describing a dream that he has in which he sees these angels. And one of the angels is measuring Jerusalem. And this speaks of this Jerusalem that will be rebuilt. But one of the interesting things that we see about this Jerusalem is that it doesn't have any walls because there's so many inhabitants in it, right? It's so large that it doesn't have any walls, but of course they have the promise that God is a wall of fire around them. And then in this, this dream turns into, into kind of this exhortation where God is telling the people of Israel, where Zechariah is telling the people of Israel, um, or God through Zechariah is telling the people of Israel, to return from Babylon, right? This is, this is an, an urgent message that he is giving to those who are still in Babylon. He is saying to them, up, get up quickly and leave Babylon because God is about to judge Babylon for what she did to his people. God is about to destroy Babylon because Babylon touched the apple of God's eye, which is Israel, right? Which is his people. And so this is the message that he is giving to the people of Israel. He's telling them, return from Babylon, come back to Jerusalem. But then he's giving them another message, another word of exhortation. And this message is that they should sing and rejoice because in this new Jerusalem that is being rebuilt, the presence of God is there, right? God promises and says, I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. But there's more to this promise, right? It also says, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And again, and I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So Jeremiah, not, I'm sorry, not Jeremiah, Zechariah is giving the people of Israel these words of exhortation. He's telling them, come back from Babylon, come back to Zion, come back to Jerusalem, and he's also telling them this Jerusalem will have the presence of God in it. So we know that these, as we have been talking, as we, as we consider these prophecies, we know that the fulfillment of these prophecies is not that simple, right? We see to a certain degree how some of these prophecies were fulfilled indeed when the people of Israel returned to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the city and for a long time, they were without walls and God was protecting them before they, could, before they could build the walls. We also know that this prophecy was fulfilled in that Babylon was indeed judged and it was, just, it, was, it was conquered by the Persians. So we see that God fulfilled that promise. And we also see that God's presence was in Jerusalem when the temple was rebuilt. And so those prophecies were definitely fulfilled but at the same time, we know, I mean, even just reading in these things, if we are paying attention, if we're reading with, with our gospel 
glasses on, we see that there's more to these prophecies, right? We see that they are pointing to something greater. And one of the things that they are pointing to is the incarnation of Jesus, right? One of the things that they are pointing to is that God, when God says that he will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, he is saying that his son, Jesus, just like we read earlier today, will become flesh, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the, of, sorry, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we see that this prophecy is pointing to the coming of Jesus. But we also know that this prophecy is pointing even further in the future to a new Jerusalem, to a new city where God's presence will be completely there, uninterrupted, where we will be with him. He will be with us. There will be no need for a temple. There will be no need for sun or moon because, uh, because God will be the light of this city, right? So do, do you see these layers of fulfillment? God makes a promise to the people of Israel and he fulfills it in their time. But then he also fulfills it in the coming of Jesus. And then there is a future fulfillment of this as well in the return of Jesus. Let, let's talk a little bit more about this fulfillment in the return of Jesus. One of the things that we see is that when Jesus came, God's presence came and dwelt among us. And, and this is something that sometimes I have to confess, sometimes I don't think about this often enough. Right? Sometimes I'm so worried thinking about the future and, and this is not completely wrong to be thinking about how incredible it's going to be in the future to live in the new heavens and the new earth and to be a part of the new Jerusalem. That's amazing. That's something that we should all definitely be looking forward to. But I think that sometimes we forget that God's presence is with us now. I think that sometimes we forget that we have already been brought to this New Jerusalem. That's what the author of Hebrews says, right? He says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, he says that we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to that. The author of Hebrews is saying that we have come, not that we will come. Yes, we will come once it's all fulfilled, but he says that now we have already come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. So we have received this kingdom. We have been brought into this new Jerusalem. In fact, in Hebrews, at the end of the chapter, the writer of Hebrews writes that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So from this passage, from Zechariah, really what I want us to see here is that at least we have at least three reasons for being uh, for being joyful, to rejoice. We have three reasons to rejoice. And one of them is we rejoice in 
God's presence, in Yahweh's presence. We rejoice in Yahweh's adoption and in, in Him adopting us, making us a part of His people. And we also rejoice in His vengeance, in, in, in His righteous judgment. Okay, so let's see the first one. And we've already kind of talked a little bit about this, but let's talk a little bit more about God's presence with us. Again, this is something that sometimes I tend to, to not think as much as I should. And I imagine that if you're anything like me, sometimes you don't think very often about God's presence with us now, God's presence with us today. But we know from scripture that God's presence is with us by his Holy Spirit, right? When Jesus came, his presence was with us. But remember what he told the disciples before he left, before he ascended into heaven? He told them in John Chapter 16, verses 7 through 15, he said, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then in Matthew, remember what Jesus told them right before ascending. He said, behold, I am with you to the end of the earth. Also in John, later in the book of John, he says, uh, we read, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so Kaleo, family, we need to remember, we need to, we need to uh, uh, always be thinking that God is here in our presence. That through his Holy Spirit, God is here with us. Right in, in, in Ephesians and really all throughout the, the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, we read that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in our midst. God is here with us. The church is not like any other institution in this world because the church is the only institution in which God dwells. Right? What makes different, what, what makes the church different from any other institution is that the Holy Spirit of God is here in our midst, dwelling with us, empowering us, giving us boldness. I mean, he, did, did you catch what he said to them at the end of John? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's the power of the Spirit. We have the presence of God with us to the point that we have the, the authority to proclaim repentance to the people, to the world. And we have the authority, God's authority to say, 
because you have trusted in Jesus, your sins have been forgiven, or because you have rejected Jesus. Uh, uh, there's no forgiveness for you until you repent, right? That's what the presence of God does. But there's more that the presence of God does, right? The presence of God uh, encourages, empowers us. It is through the presence of God, through his Holy Spirit, that we can build one another up. Right? We've talked about the spiritual gifts. If you, if you were not here for that, we have an entire series on, the, on spiritual gifts. But one of the main things that we saw when we talked about spiritual gifts is that one of the means that God uses to dispense his grace to his people is through the spiritual gifts that he gives to his church through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to experience God's presence, one of the most important things that you can do is to come gather with the church and be edified by the spiritual gifts that he has given to others to edify you, to dispense his grace to you. Kaleo, we have God's presence with us. Let us not neglect that. I think another, another way that, I don't know, it's, it's so simple and yet we neglect it so much. We experience God's presence when we abide in his word. Right? As I was reflecting on, on just this week on my, you know, feeling discouraged and depressed and all that, I was thinking, I've, I've spent way too much time on social media and I have spent no time at all in God's word. How do I expect to be, to be joyful if I haven't experienced God's presence in his word? And so I would encourage all of us that we seek God's presence in his word, that we seek God's presence through prayer, that we abide in him, that we are in constant communication with him, and also that we seek God's presence with his people. How can we experience God's presence with us if we isolate ourselves from his bride, from the people that he has redeemed? So that's one reason to be joyful. It is that his presence is with us. Another reason to be joyful, to rejoice. Oh, and I'm sorry, I, I meant to bring it up more from the text, but uh, obviously we, we are seeing here in Zechariah that God is promising that he will dwell with them, right? So this, this is where it is coming from. Uh, in, in second place, we rejoice in Yahweh's adoption. We rejoice in that we belong to him. And we see that in two places here in the text. One of them in verse 10, uh, sorry, verse 11, where it says that many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. This is incredible news for us, right? Because this is basically saying that those of us who did not belong are now a part of God's people. God is, pro God is promising through, through Zechariah that this blessing of God's dwelling is not just limited to ethnic Israel, but this blessing actually belongs to all of the people that will be joined to the Lord through his son, Jesus. Right, one verse that we should know, I, I, in fact, I think this verse, we should, we should just memorize it as a church, is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, where it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you 
out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then listen to this verse. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the fulfillment of this prophecy where all of these other nations are joining themselves to the Lord, where all of these nations are becoming God's people. And we are those, those nations that are joining themselves to the Lord. And we know that the only reason we can be joined to the Lord is because of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of the sacrificial death of Jesus in our place. And when we trust in him, when we believe in him, when we repent from our sins and trust that he is the only one that can save us, we are united to him and we become a part of God's people. We are forgiven. We receive mercy. We become a part of his people. But there is more. The word of God tells us that we are God's treasured possession. Right? We see a hint of that in verse 12 here where it says, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. And it's only a hint of that because it's only talking about Jerusalem and Judah. But we know that now that we belong to God's people, now that we are joined to God's people, we are part of this nation, we are God's portion. We are God's inheritance. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 we see this spelled out. And I'm reading for the new, from the New English translation because I believe that the ESV, as much as I like the ESV, I believe that the ESV does not translate it right. The New, in, the new English translation says in Ephesians 1.11, in Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. Listen to that again. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. The ESV says that we have received God as an inheritance and that's not necessarily wrong. Yes, God is our inheritance. God is our portion. But what Paul is writing in Ephesians 1.11 is that we are God's inheritance. We are God's portion. The verse continues, since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. What does it mean that we are God's portion? It means that we belong to him. It means that he rejoices over us with singing. It means that he is pleased with us. It means that we belong to him. Again, this is all connected to our union with Christ because we are united to Christ when the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased because we are united to Christ. He looks at his church and he says, this is my beloved church in whom I am well pleased because of the work of my son, Jesus, that has saved them, redeemed them, justified them. We belong to God. We are his possession. He delights over us. And if that doesn't bring us joy, then I don't know what else will bring us joy. Right? If you're ever feeling down, discouraged, if, if, if you're feeling sad or depressed or whatever, just think about the fact that you belong to God, that you are his possession, that he loves you, that he is well pleased with you. 
The problem is that we look for acceptance, we look for belonging, we look for meaning everywhere else, when in reality, we should be looking for those things in Christ, right? And, and we shouldn't even be looking for them because we have them. We are accepted by God in Christ. We belong to God in Christ. We have meaning and purpose in Christ because we are God's treasured possession. And that brings us to the, to the third thing, which is we rejoice also in the Lord's vengeance. And this is kind of the, the, the logical train that I'm following here. If God is in our midst, and if we are God's possession, then why do we still experience trials and suffering? Why does the church still experience persecution? If God is already in our midst, if we are already in this, spiritually in this new Jerusalem, then why do we continue to experience the kind of suffering, uh, trials, illness, all, all of the things that we continue to experience? And I think that throughout the New Testament, we see it very clearly that this is something to be expected. Right, this is not something weird or or that only happens, you know, to uh, that it's only the exception. In fact, I would argue that we in this country we are kind of the exception, in that we are actually enjoying a lot more freedom than what the rest of the world is and what the what the rest of the church in the world is experiencing. But I think that we need to know that throughout the New Testament, it is clear that the church will experience suffering and persecution. And when we look at the book of Revelation, right? We, we studied the book of Revelation, I don't even remember how long ago, like a year ago. And one of the main themes of the book of Revelation is how God deals with the suffering of his people. How God deals with the persecuted martyrs, right? That we see this image of all of these martyrs, all of God's people who have died for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Lord, and they are there in his presence. And what, what are they asking God? They're asking him, how, how long until you avenge us? How long until you, until you bring punishment upon the people that killed us, that persecuted us? And we see that response when Babylon is destroyed in Revelation, right? Which, by the way, these themes are coming straight from Zechariah, right? The themes of God dwelling in the midst of Jerusalem. We see that in the book of Revelation. The theme of God destroying Babylon and telling his people to flee Babylon because Babylon is about to be destroyed. We see that in Revelation. And notice one of the things we read in Revelation chapter 18, verse 20. It says, rejoice over her, rejoice over Babylon, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So the fact that God is an avenger, that should bring us joy. And this, I believe, is a doctrine that is often neglected. And I believe that this is why we struggle so much with bitterness. We struggle so much with resentment. This is why we struggle with forgiving people. 
because we neglect to remember that God is an avenger, that God will, he says, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We as Christians, we do not have to avenge ourselves. We do not have to repay evil for evil. In fact, we're called to repay good for evil. Why? Because God is an avenger. Because vengeance belongs to God. In Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 19, we read, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This should bring us joy and this should bring us encouragement. Knowing that God is not just overlooking our suffering. God is not overlooking uh, any form of persecution that we might be enduring. God is not overlooking things that have been done against us. God will avenge the apple of his eye, which we are the apple of his eye. We are his people and he will avenge us. And we can rest in that. We don't have to repay. We don't have to look for any political vengeance. We don't have to engage in the so-called culture wars. We don't have to do any of those things because God is an avenger. And then one final implication from this, since Babylon will be destroyed, one of the things that, that Zechariah prophesies and one of the things that the book of Revelation tells us as well is flee from Babylon. Flee from Babylon. If we know that Babylon will be destroyed, then why do we play in Babylon? Why do we engage in the sins of Babylon? In Revelation 18, we read, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For, his sin, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Kaleo, we must flee Babylon. It doesn't, mean that, it doesn't mean that we go and hide ourselves somewhere and start our own, you know, Christian village here. No, we can't do that. We live here. We live in this world. But we are called to flee the sin of Babylon. Or as we've been studying in 2 Peter, we are called to flee the corruption of this world. We can rest assured that God will avenge us and that God will uh, judge Babylon. But we should not rest assured on that if we are full on engaged with the sins of Babylon. If we are engaged, engaging in the sins of Babylon, if we are celebrating the sins of Babylon, then we should be scared. And we should repent and we should turn to Christ. But if we are in Christ, then we can rest assured. We can have joy. We can rejoice even in the middle of persecution. 
Even in the middle of suffering, we can rejoice because God is in our midst. We can rejoice because we are God's treasured possession. And we can rejoice because God will avenge his people. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your presence among us. Please help us remember that you are here with us. Help us to abide in you, in your word. Help us to walk in the spirit, not to quench the spirit. Thank you that we belong to you. We are your possession. I pray that you bring joy and comfort to those who are suffering, that we would be reminded of these things, that we would be reminded that we belong to you and you are in our midst and you will avenge us. Thank you for your son, Jesus who became flesh, who dwelt among us, and who justified us through his perfect life and his death on the cross and his resurrection. In his name we pray.